Hi everyone, this is Stuart Tan bringing you the Insight Podcast for the Life Builder Circle. If you're new to the LBC, please join us in our Facebook group to find out a little bit more about how this NS Men for NS Men initiative will continue to help NS Men to build networks and to learn from people who are great and strong leaders who've come before us. Learn a little bit more about how to utilize the National Service Platform for your own growth and personal mastery as well focusing on areas such as resilience, leadership, and much, much more. In this episode, I interview Christopher Tan, CEO of Provident, who will not be any stranger to those in the financial advisory world. In Singapore, it was the first ever fee-based wealth advisory consultancy, and he continued to weather many, many storms over the last 20 years, including the Asian financial crisis. Through the years, however, Chris has also come to be known as a very amiable person. I first met him in a training program back in 2007, and since then we've maintained contact. What was very interesting about his journey was he started off in one PDF command, transferred to Tradoc or Training and Doctoring Command, and was a senior officer when he left in 2021. One of the key things that I learned was his ability to take whatever was learned as a way of thinking in the armed forces and apply it everywhere else and vice versa. What he shared was very candidly that he credits the armed forces for the opportunities to be able to grow and to learn. I definitely believe that those are also going to be valuable nuggets for you. So please join me as I pick Chris's brain. Go ahead, take down notes as I explore his journey of resilience and leadership. And I hope that you're able to get useful insights from the inside. I can hear you now. Okay, excellent. Thanks for uh, taking the call. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me. Let me see. Awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because once I don't lock in, I cannot get the I cannot get the background up. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Are you hearing me? Good? Uh, oh, loud and clear. Loud. Okay. Sun okay. strength 20. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I bet, I, don't, I bet I don't speak so near. Because sometimes people say hey, you need to speak nearer, but sometimes they say that you know you just you, you know don't don't speak so near too power already. <laughs> that's great, that's great. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll adjust it on the back. But uh, how have you been? Uh, it's been some time since I caught up with you. Oh my, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, from a from a from a business aspect, it has been good. Excellent. The last two years has been, I mean, I'm uh, I, I say unfortunately because. The pandemic has hit a lot of people, but for the financial sector, actually, we have sort of like not been affected at all. Uh, yeah. Okay. And the uh, stock market has been doing fantastic for the last two years. So in terms of business, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. Uh, yeah, just that uh, it's been very tiring. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the good thing about business is that well, when it's good, you are very busy. Uh, but the bad thing is when you're very busy, then you get you don't find time to rest, you know, and all that. Nah. How have you been? I mean, I had to pivot. Nah. You know, the business uh, had to change. I had always wanted to change to a digital mode of business like this, doing coaching, doing online training. Just never really had the guts to do it nah, because I lost about a quarter of a million uh, just trying to pivot back in 20, end 2016, early 2017. It just didn't work out very well. Uh, so, you know, just start from scratch. Nah. So the good news is that... Uh, I think all things happen for a purpose. I got, uh, I had to get rid of my people, not really get rid, like, I had to say goodbye to them very uh, gratefully, but very painfully. <laughs> so mm. I'm very grateful. Uh, 2022 is looking to be interesting also. I don't think everything is stabilized from a normalization. normalization yeah. Point. Yeah. 
that's where we thrive, man. That's uh, <laughs> that's the place where yeah, the wild west uh, people can find <laughs> gold and make it right. So today's focus is is on trying to bring the experience of people who have come before them in order to propagate good practices. In order, to, whether it's mental, emotional well-being whether it's leadership, whether it's resilience, all that kind of stuff, so that they can also thrive, you know, not just uh, come into NS for the sake of coming, but really mm-hmm. to thrive. And I feel that that's a very big gap that's kind of missing. Uh, right, right. Just go in and, oh, you tell me what to do, I do. You know, I run run up the hill, I run up the hill, you know. But most uh, don't, or shall I say, not aware that there are other opportunities. So uh, I'm, I'm yeah. curious, you know, you, you started your career in the armed forces uh, for six years. Yeah, right? yeah. Actually, NS changed my life. La. Really? Eh? Yeah, yeah, NS changed my life. What was your first thought when you got into joining the armed forces? Yeah, I needed out of necessity. Plus, of course, uh, I love NS. I mean, and I love the army. I like to go to the field. La. I really enjoyed going to the field. Yeah, so um, I joined NS because I wanted to be a field commander, not a staff officer sitting in the office. <laughs> I mean... I think a lot of people who join us, they join for that. They join for the adventure, right? right? So, but I say it was out of necessity because my family uh, background is that my, my parents had four children. Uh, so I have three other uh, sisters. I'm number two. Um, and in my generation, you know, uh, the older ones, we are expected to go out to work as soon as possible to take care of the younger ones, right? Yeah, so my father was a bus driver. My my mother, uh, she has been a homemaker all her life. And right. so my father was a sole breadwinner and at the peak of his driving career, I think he was taking home like six, seven hundred dollars a month. You know, and uh, he has to pay for the small flat that we stayed in and then support all the children. It's not easy. Yeah. So after I finished my diploma, uh, I did a diploma in uh, electronics and communication engineering with uh, Singapore Poly. La. Yeah, I hated it. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I knew that I had to, you know, change my course. Uh, otherwise, uh, I would really hate my life being an engineer. And I think I'm going to be a very lousy engineer. Wow. Uh, but that's it. No money, right? I mean, my parents have no money. That's it. You know, that's all. I say, okay, you have, you've gotten your diploma. Quickly go out and work. So I guess the fastest way to earn money was to join NS, was to, to join the army. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, plus, uh, at that point in time, uh, I was posted to... Uh, for SIR as a platoon commander oh, yeah, so I did well for my OCS uh, that's why I say NS changed my life because uh, I never thought I would do well in OCS but I did well in uh, OCS and I got posted to uh, the battalion the infantry battalion as a platoon commander and I enjoyed that life of a platoon commander bring men out to the field training going for exercise five days four night. you know <laughs> I know some people say you're crazy, but I absolutely loved it. So I said, hey, actually, I, it's not bad, you know. And uh, at that point in time, uh, as a second lieutenant, right, they pay us about 1,004. Uh, as compared to a diploma holder, we were paid about 800, fresh graduate. So I get to start working much earlier than all my friends. I get paid more, 1,004. And I thought it's just another three and a half years. I mean, those days, NS was two and a half years, right? And I just get to, uh, it's one contract is six years, right? I just work another three and a half years. Then I can leave and do something if I want. And my friends at that time would have just finished their uh, uni. Okay, well, we are on equal footing, you know? And I would do my degree when I was in, uh, when I'm in uh, the army and all that. So that was my 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 thoughts. Uh. You, you never had an intention to continue like career for life. Uh, well, 
I wasn't sure. I mean, back, we, we don't think a lot at that time. I wasn't sure. But I actually wanted, I actually wanted to. Uh, or rather, I did consider continuing. But I knew that being not a scholar, at least at that time, yeah, my career estimated potential was quite limited. Lah. Even though the degree that I took, I mean, I check it out with civil service and all that, they recognize the degree. But I was not looked upon like a local grad or a scholar, right? I decided that, well, maybe it's better for me actually to leave. Lah. So I, I left. You didn't start off Provident until uh, much later. You'd already gone with uh, J&J, then you continued. Uh, after that short stint, you went into insurance, right? You- That's right. Yeah, I left the army. I wanted to go into finance. Actually, I, 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 I almost joined Bloomberg. But unfortunately, I left the army. Uh, it was in the middle of an uh, Asian financial crisis. Yeah, so the hiring manager, whom actually was my MBA classmate husband, said, Hey, I'm sorry, I can't hire you because uh, hiring freeze, uh, Asian financial crisis, right? Mm. Um, But I needed a job. So I went to GNJ. I was doing pharmaceutical sales for about one and a half years. Uh, Fantastic experience. Very well positioned for the pandemic. (laughs) I tell you, as a farmer rep, it's actually quite well paid. And it's not that difficult a job. Uh, absolutely enjoyed it. I went around rapping, you know, uh, uh, went to see doctors and all that. But when the Asian financial crisis uh, blew over in 98, um, I decided to go into financial services. At that point in time, somebody tried and hired me and then you know, this whole financial planning thing was starting in 98. I was told that, you know, you're going to, do, you're going to get to do financial planning. That's how I ended up with the, uh, with, uh, the insurance company. But after three years, I realized that I wasn't doing a lot of uh, advisory. La. I was doing a lot of product sales. Uh, I did well. I was earning a lot of money. It was good money. I, I think I, when I left uh, the insurance company in 2001, I was making about $200,000. Oh. Uh, yeah, but I decided that if I have to leave, I could better leave early la, because the longer you stay in the insurance industry, the harder to leave because the recurring commission is very good. <laughs> you know, So I left. Were you all this while posted through Tridoc? Uh, yes. Actually, okay, not really. So my first uh, posting was actually one PDF command. Ah, I see. Okay, and uh, subsequently one PDF command was uh, closed down. Okay, and all of us uh, from one PDF, we got posted to Tridoc. Oh. Yeah, it's sensitive. I cannot say why. Yeah, but we were doing something in one PDF command that uh, was taken over by Tradoc. So, so we went to Tradoc. During that point of time when you decided to start, how did you manage your, the balancing between family, uh, NS and, and career? Yeah, actually, I really didn't find it as a struggle, you know, honestly, because I mean, in-camp training is like two weeks at most, right? So no big deal. Uh, and my, it's like a normal thing. My, my office people accept it. So when I'm away, they just take over whatever things that I need to do, right? And I'm always contactable. I didn't find it really as a struggle. My, my family also accepted it, that this is a Singapore thing. All the males go and serve NS, right? And you don't do a high key every year. Lah. Some years are low key, which just four or five days, which fine, you know? And once a while, I get a high key two weeks, which is a normal. That's why I didn't feel a struggle. I don't really feel that I need to balance it, except for some of those causes that are very long that I needed to go. 
like command and staff course, right? CSC is like five and a half weeks <laughs> residential phase for NS men, right? So, so okay, that's, that was just a bit of struggle because um, for five and a half weeks, people need to get you, you know, some media will call, you know. But I will say so far, SAF has been always been very understanding because whenever I need to take some time off to do those things, they will give me time off, right? I say, I need to go, I need to disappear for three hours. Right to do this, and they will let me. Uh, they will let me go. Uh, there was once I had to do an overseas exercise. Uh, in Taiwan, uh, there was like three over weeks, right? So that was just okay, maybe a bit tougher because I harder to contact you. But otherwise, I never felt that I really had to balance oh, I can't remember. It's it's quite a while ago. But <laughs> that's, that's the reason why uh, we need to have this conversation because then we can store something on the digital sources for people to come and learn from. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. And, and okay, because at that time, I was already on Rover. La, okay. Right? And uh, so Rover, no, the good thing about Rover is that they always ask you, hey, you, uh, can you go or not? Right? <laughs> so they ask me, you know, we need people to go to, to Taiwan to be coached uh, at a division level. Uh, can you go or not? And they're like, no, 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 I want to go. I haven't been to Taiwan for a long, long time. <laughs> I mean, I've been to Taiwan as a tourist, but as a training troop, right? I miss those days, right? You know, all those places, right? I say, no, yeah, I want to go. Can you go? I want to go, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I actually went. Yeah, that's a very different uh, way of thinking. Maybe it's because you had an initial longer stage with your men in, in the regular days that gave you a bit more of a broader perspective. I, I find that nowadays, a lot of NS men who never had a battalion experience, they get posted to, you know, some of these other units that are not so well known and don't have uh, maybe an evergreen unit, but they don't have a battalion structure. Uh, it becomes a little bit funny when you ask them, hey, which unit are you from? And then they have no clue, you know. In, in your opinion, is there any reason why you think this is happening? I, I think, you know, you get back what you you give out right so yeah i can really understand if you are posted to a unit that you don't even know what you need one small section and all you do is shred paper you know and all that i mean i don't mean it in a bad way but i can definitely understand when you are called back to you to for ns you feel like it's a waste of time yeah. right what do i do i do all the admin work you know i can be better deployed out in the corporate world i, mean, I can really understand that i don't want to go back ns and just do shredding of papers, you no know, clerical work, you know. Not that I've looked down on the clerks, it's just, it's not the best use of, a, best use of an NS man time, la. especially this NS man is very successful outside. Mm. But in the first place, how did you get there? Okay, I can understand if it's a medical reason. Very mm. unfortunate, you are there. Yeah, but I know of people who go with a mindset of, well, I want to find the most, the, the most slack place la, to do my NS. La. Right. So if you go in that kind of mindset, you will definitely end up in that kind of place because you'll find all ways to get there. But you forget that you have to serve another 10 year cycle, you know, and all that, right? And you're gonna do that, no? And it's really gonna be a waste of your time. So, but for many of us, when we went to NS, uh, at least for me, I, I told myself that no, I wanted to go to OCS. That was my aspiration. I wasn't sure whether I was gonna make it, but I told myself I'm gonna go to OCS. I'm very grateful that I got into OCS uh, and I'm very grateful. I didn't expect myself to do well, but I'm very grateful I did well. I'm very grateful I got a chance to be a platoon commander, right? Because that's what uh, all of us who are in a command school, that's what we want to be, right? We want to go out and be a commander and command man and lead, you know? 
So I, I'm very glad I had a chance to do that. And then I have the chance to progress in my NS all the way to army level. Lah. And because of that, NS become very, very meaningful. Mm. I, I can see why I'm doing NS and the work that I do, I can see how I'm contributing. I've got a group of very good NS men who same mindset. We didn't go in there to Tuang. We, uh, we, we, we didn't have to. We were rovers, right? We went in there because we wanted to do it, not because we uh, had to do it. And when you have people who are like-minded like that, right, it's, uh, it, it's just iron sharpen iron. And so uh, NS becomes very meaningful. Mm. But like I said, how did we get to this position in the first place? It was because right at the beginning when we were still recruits, we were thinking, no, no, no. I'm going to make the best out of my NS journey. Yeah, I think that mindset is really essential. I, uh, unfortunately, I think uh, sometimes uh, there's a backpedaling for those who may have thought, you know, two, two and a half years or two years, you know, I, I, things uh, are pressuring, yes, but it's, it's over. And then they realize that uh, once they get back into the NS system, technically mm. nobody really has control over them. I mean, it's, the, the rank doesn't really, I mean, it counts, but it's not really the same way as, let's say, a corporate job where your boss is telling you what to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to a great extent, even the, the, the club who comes in might actually have a much uh, more mature mind than the officer who comes back in. Um, Definitely. I, I personally find also that uh, without a constant reminder and without good leadership, it's very difficult to harness the, the, the drive, the motivation, the capabilities. Who would you say would be the most influential leaders who have sort of like shaped the way you think? I don't have. Don't have. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have. I mean, okay, not that I I don't look up to any leaders, but I don't have particularly anyone because uh, I I I learned something from everybody. Right, so I don't really like. Oh, this is the leader that I really idolize, you know, and uh, and I try and read up all his principles. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I just don't have. I mean, I think if you ask many of us who are Singaporeans, the the one leader that all of us really respect and all that is Mister Lee Kuan Yew, lah. Yeah, and he's not really an uh, uh, army guy. I mean, I watch, I watch, uh, all his not all uh, a lot of his speeches. Um, and I can see his conviction. I see his passion. Um, we all experience his decisiveness in making, you know, decisions. Yeah. So he's definitely one leader that I uh, look up to. Uh, all my uh, experience with uh, senior commanders in the army, uh, I observe how they remain cool and they remain calm in times of uh, crisis. Of course, uh, in my NS experience, there was one CO that I saw that broke down. I'm not laughing at him because uh, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. Yeah, but I also learned something in that process of uh, a CO breaking down uh, halfway in leadership. So I don't really have one. Basically, as I go through the, the experience, I look at different leaders and I just learn from them. That's quite telling you are looking at and observing and calibrating to the environment, and then picking the things that are useful and helpful. I think that's uh, that's also quite powerful. But to be able to remain open to mm. and non-partisan, you know, that's also quite, uh, in my opinion, I think quite admirable. But uh, hey, you you are the one who started the first uh, uh, fee-based financial advisory, so you're obviously non-partisan. The only person who really 
is important to you is the customer. How do NS men bring what they have from their workplace into the into NS, into serving the ICT and vice versa? I don't look at NS and uh, I, I don't see a dichotomy basically between NS and the corporate world. Uh, we live an integrated life, right? Um, so we behave the same whether we are in uniform or when we are outside so-called. Yeah, it's just uh, at different times of the year, we do different things. That two weeks, we are needed back in camp. So we just go back to camp, we put on uniform, but we are who we are. Mm-hmm. And whatever we learn in NS all these years and whatever we learn in a corporate world, we apply it when uh, the time calls for it. Um, I know it sounds very fluffy, but I remember a time when um, I had to do research um, in the NS work that I do. I need to do research on enemy territory, right? Uh, and through the research, make certain decisions, give certain weight to certain, certain scenarios. Um, and in my mind, I was thinking of the same framework that we use for investment analysis, <laughs> right? And it's, it's just a framework, right? Yeah, so if you have the framework and that's the framework that we learn outside, so we bring it back to NS and then we use the same framework to analyze some of this information. I wouldn't say that, oh, this is something we learn in the corporate world, but in our, our entire, in, in the training that we get in our entire life, we just apply it when we are in NS. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and in the same way, when I come out of the for NS and in my my business, actually NS, I learn. A, I would say I apply a lot more from what I learned in NS to my business than the other way around. I mean, I, I can share some of them. The SAF officers creed. I do not know how many SAF officers still remember the SAF officers creed. Uh, until today, I can memorize the SAF officers oh. creed uh, since OCS days. Yeah, because the principles that uh, in the SF Officers' Creed, they are really meaningful. The whole SF Officers' Creed is divided into three parts, which is uh, uh, leadership, uh, a mindset of excellence, and uh, the mindset of resilience. Mm-hmm. It is embodied in, you know, uh, I'm an officer of the Singapore Armed Forces. My duty is to lead, to excel, and to overcome. Then they unpack lead, they unpack excel, and they unpack overcome. Right, and these three principles actually help me in my leadership role in my company. What does it mean to be a leader? Mm. I answer for my uh, my men's training, morale and discipline. Right, discipline. Uh, right, so I must always accept, I, I must excel in everything I do. I serve with pride, honor, and integrity. Right, so things like that. Right, so that's the leadership part. And then my army experience in exercises is about staying calm in crisis. And in my world, whereby uh, there is uh, always that investment volatility, how do I stay calm? Mm-hmm. Training framework. The army training framework is an excellent framework for training outside uh, in my organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we think about it, right, the training framework, we always start a doctrine. And then after that, training exercises to emphasize the doctrine. And then finally, ATAC for assessment, right? Yeah, so I use the same in my, in, my, in my office, right? So we have trainings that are doctrine, basically doctrine. We teach the doctrine. And then after that, we practice, which is exercises, right? And then we give assessment just to make sure that the people uh, understand. Strategic planning. I use part of better procedure. 
the last part of my uh, corporate planning has this thing called uh, CPG. I don't know whether it sounds familiar to you. <laughs> yeah, but in the in the military world, it's commander's planning guidance. In my world, it's called CEO planning, uh, CEO's planning guidance. Right. So I give my people the CPG, they go and plan and they come back for AOP, approval of plan. That's taken from the, the, the army. I make use of the army mobilization concept uh, to practice in my firm, this thing called crisis management plan. And that means, okay, if the market correct by 10%, okay, button is pressed. What are all the different departments supposed to do? And we practice it. And we have open mob and silent mob, right? So open mob means, okay, we're going to practice this drill today. Everybody knows. Okay, button is pressed. Market is now 10%. Okay, all the different departments, what are they supposed to do, right? But then in the assessment is silent mob. Nobody knows. Only me and my CIO knows, right? I say, okay, today we're going to practice. So we press button. Where did all this come from? If it's from the army, right? And it's very useful. That, that's interesting to, to see it actually being used. And I can tell that it's been used by quite a number of different people. I mean, uh, now, you know, there's a leadership consultant called Jocko Willink in the United States, former Navy SEAL, who's he's using that for business strategy. Mm. I know a bunch of guys uh, who run a consulting firm called Afterburner. They're former uh, military pilots, for example. Mm. So I'm actually honestly surprised that no one's really fully utilized it. I even have a marketing, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, godfather of internet marketing, who invented a lot of things that are that the internet mar- uh, internet marketers use now on a regular basis. Uh, he comes from intelligence, so it's funny that uh, many of us Singaporeans who are privy to the way of thinking, because it really is uh, how to think so that you can determine the choice of what to think. Then you can, mm. otherwise, there's. Yeah. There's no, I mean, you can set a goal, but then goal without skill is quite useless. So yeah. it's funny that um, not everybody has chanced on that. I, I know exactly what you mean because to a great extent, I use that myself. And of course, in, in my area of managing information, it really is marketing, you know, how, how people are handling um, their, their, their communication and things like that. I was, I was going through, just to prepare for this, I was going through your Google reviews. It's quite interesting how much uh, misinformation is happening also in your uh, Google My Business and then people go through the reviews and you can tell that uh, there are some people who are not very happy la, with, mm-hmm. uh, with competition, right? And they right, right. give pot shots and stuff like that. Right. When, when something unfair happens, whether it's a, a sudden crisis or whether through no fault of yours something occurs, um, how do you manage something like that, whether in the NS context or in the corporate context? And in your case, you probably don't have any duality for that, but what, what would you say is a, a good way for someone to recover from a potential crisis? Yeah, I mean, for me, the way I deal with crisis and especially um, with things that is beyond my control, and I think it's, I wanted to say in my area of work, but I don't think so. I think it's everybody. A lot of times, a lot of things happen to us beyond our control. Yeah, for me, the way I manage it is that I focus on the crisis. I focus on the emotion. I don't focus on the emotion. I mean, the thing that I learned is that um, we cannot control our emotions, but we can control our response. Right. Right. So it's really no point to tell people, don't worry. I can't help. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, I, I, I know uh, people meant it good and well when they say, hey, Stuart, don't be sad. Don't be upset. I know they meant well. 
but I have no control. I just feel upset. I feel angry, right? So we have no control over the way we feel, but we can control our response. Yeah. So when a crisis happens, well, most people, I think, they get sucked into the emotions and then maybe they get uh, paralyzed. Mm. Yeah. So f- for me, and I think this is part of the SAF training, especially when it comes to uh, mission exercises, when things happen beyond uh, a control and you need to react fast. Yeah. So I, 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 I actually have this drill that I mentally tell myself that, okay, this is the time whereby I show I'm a leader. This is the time I must show to my people that I'm calm. Wow. Yeah, this is a time when everybody is like Kanjong screaming and shouting, you know. Uh, this is a time I must show to them that actually I'm very tired. So I, I mentally tell myself that. And then I just sit down and then I, you know, then you know, in a very logical way, I say, okay, come, let's look at the matter. Let's break the, the problem into a few pieces. Okay, so this is the problem. Okay, you go and solve this now. This is the problem. You go and solve that uh, now. Yeah, so uh, I mean, that's how I handle things. I, I don't get uh, too angry for too long. I do get angry, not that I don't, uh, but I push it away and say, okay, there's nothing I can do about it, but I can definitely control the way I respond to that crisis. Mm. Yeah, so that's helped me actually uh, a lot. And where did that come from? Uh, I, I, you know, in I said mission, right? But particularly the mission that got me my sort of merit in OCS. So I remember it was uh, my, my the SOM mission. It was in Taiwan. It was a battalion night attack. <laughs> and we went up the hill. It was total darkness, cannot see anything. And then as usual, you know, the enemy started firing. You know, I started fi- we started firing and we were preparing to charge. And suddenly the enemy was firing on the left. Then suddenly the enemy was firing on the right. And I remember specifically at that point in time, I had no fear. I wasn't kanjong at all. I had no, I don't know why, but I had no fear. Okay. I simply just respond to the situation. Mm. Like, okay, the enemy is on the left. Okay, this section, take this, take, take that. And then in the end, when the mission was over, my PC uh, was standing there and they asked everybody, so how do y'all feel about the mission? Everybody said, oh, sharks die already. Lah. You know, the, mission, the, the, the people are all over us. And then the, the platoon commander was actually, actually said, no, I thought y'all did quite well. You know, and I always, always remember that mission. And I asked myself, actually, what was the critical success factor? And the critical success factor was that, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't kanjong at all. Mm. Yeah, I was just thinking about how to respond to the situation more than getting very nervous or very kanjong about it. So I try to apply that principle in every crisis. And my over the last 20 years, yeah, I in the financial services sector, I mean, you have the global financial crisis, yeah. you have the tech bubble burst, you know, and uh, all that. Sure. Yeah, we have the pandemic, we have the, the uh, two years ago, the market fell by 30% in a, couple, in a few weeks. Yeah. And, and that, that, for me, that helps a lot. One of the things that struck me in one of your um, videos, I was kind of like stalking you. So you, you mentioned that uh, during the financial crisis, you, you actually went into a, a mode where uh, you spoke with your compliance, chief compliance and oh, yeah. said, hey, you know, I uh, think we got to go and suck it up, lah. Tell, the, the, tell the clients, look, we could have done better and so on. Um, what was going through your mind to, to say something like that? You know, I mean, most people, well, this is what the news is all about. It's like pushing responsibility away from themselves. It's like, we can't control it. Right? So 
what can we do, right? But you took a completely counterintuitive approach. What was going on inside your mind at that point of time? Honestly, I was very fearful. Uh. Yeah, but I was more fearful of what the client would think of us if we were to just whip out any story and bluff them. Right. Right. I, I felt a sense of, uh, I owe them that duty of care. When we started a company, I mean, we had no brand. It was this guy trying to do fee only, you know, charge a fee. No one charges a fee, you know, in the early 2000, right? But here we are, a group of clients who trusted us with their money. They believe in us, no brand. They like the way we do things and say, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pay you a fee to do my work. I'm going to give you money. And then here we are, we failed them in the GFC, right? I can't make myself go up to them and say that, oh, you know, guys, uh, it's the market. You know, everybody loses money in the GFC. It's not just us, you know, and all that. I mean, to the client, when they look at me, they will say, crap, lah, Chris, mm-hmm. you are no different. Mm-hmm. You are just like all the other fund managers out there, wealth managers out there. When you want my money, you say all the nice things. When you lose our money, you blame it to the market. Crap, lah, you're no difference, right? Mm-hmm. So I told my compliance here, I said, Let's just go and tell them. And the truth is that we didn't do as well as we should. We can't change it, right? So let's go up to them and we tell them, look, guys, I'm very sorry. Yes, it's the GFC, but we could have done better, but we didn't. I can't change it. But if you trust me, give me a chance. I will never, ever let you go through this thing again. That was exactly what I said. If you trust me, I will never allow this thing to happen to all of you again. Of course, I was very fearful that some of them may want to sue me and say, okay, since you admit fault, right? Okay, pay me back, you know. But none, zero. None of the clients actually came to me and said that, oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they feel because I didn't ask them, but I hope that they felt more assured that at least someone is telling them the, the truth. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but again, I'm grateful. Uh, my team, after that, 208 crisis, we never allowed the clients to go through that ever. I mean, investment performance has been good, you know, and so we never allowed them to go through uh, that whole thing again. It's wonderful. I think that's also a testament to not just looking at, because I, I, I tend to look at uh, performance in cycles, right? So a person has got a short cycle performance and a long cycle performance. In this particular case, uh, when the result catches up to anybody, then you're, it's like too late. It's like when I lost my first uh, quarter million you know, on my own, you know, not through no real fault of anybody's, but primarily mm. uh, bad decision calls. Lah. Then mm. it becomes like quite apparent that you could have done better. And then you decide. It's like, now I, have, I know what we went through. We don't have to go through that again. We can uh, plan for the next possibility and maybe mm. become even better as a result of that. So right. I think... Uh, the like they say uh, that uh, uh, crises uh, shapes us right but mm. sometimes uh, it causes people to go out of the shape that they wanted to <laughs> but for other people it really ships uh, them up and shapes them out you know uh, or shapes them up and ships them out so mm. it's, uh, it's very telling I think uh, the, the the foundation of success as you have put it if I may quickly summarize would be have a proper mind frame have the skill sets that support that frame of mind Make mm. the right decisions. Mm. Don't sell out on people. Mm. Uh, whether it's your NS mates or your, your clients, uh, they're, they're all the same because you're, it's, mm. it's to them. 
Mm. And uh, when the opportunity appears, or if possible, uh, prepare well enough so that the opportunity can be capitalized on. That's right. Did I miss anything? <laughs> no, I think you you basically frame it uh, very well. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, is there anything that you feel uh, the NS community could be doing more or could be doing better? No, not, not, not anything I can think of. I felt the SAF has improved tremendously over the past few decades. Yeah. especially in the way they treat the NS men. Mm. Yeah, but I always say this, that uh, we, must, we, must first be, we must first do our part to deserve the SAF treating us well. Why do I say that? It's all about trust. Yeah. If you come into uh, NS and you are thinking of how to get out as soon as possible, you don't do your best, then you cannot blame it when the organization don't trust you and when you ask for time off and all that, don't give it to you because this person, the, 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 the guy is thinking, you king again, you're trying to get out. You're always asking for deferment, right? Yeah, but if you come with that mindset of I'm just giving my best, okay, in, in the next 10 cycle, I'm just going to give my best. People can see, right? And our own experience is that actually they are very understanding. They know you're NS man. They know your responsibility at home. They know your responsibility outside of the office. Uh, the people are grateful you come back and serve. I really feel that uh, the uh, SAF was very grateful when I come back. Each time when they call me, I come back, even though I'm uh, a rover, right? I come back. And whenever I ask for time off, I never get a no. In fact, they will ask me, is that enough time? <laughs> you know, you want, you want a bit more time? And I'm the one who always say that, oh, no, 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 no. Half a day will actually will, will do. So if, if we are like that, right, then both parties will treat each other well. And like I say, the SAF has improved tremendously. They are not so regimental like before, a lot more understanding during in-camp. Yeah. The, the unfortunate thing I, I believe back then is that the salience and the, the, the obviousness of the so-called militaristic style, the very authoritarian style was so mm. in the face of many people. Mm. They forget that it has changed. And because when you are two and a half years in that kind of a setting mm. and then you move on, you don't really get very much contact anymore. Mm. Then it gets divorced from what uh, the reality actually is. So mm. that, that's why a lot of people will not be able to see that the SAF has so-called progress. In fact, uh, if, uh, if anything, there's a number of people who are just waiting to take pot shots at former colonels and generals. <laughs> you know? I know what you mean. Yeah. But I, I have to put this on record that um, I said at the start that uh, SAF changed my life. Mm. Um, I'm very grateful. Okay, because when I've, I really wanted to go to OCS, right? Yeah. And I went into OCS the first three weeks, I was, I was suffering. Okay, and I wanted to give up. I seldom say this, but I actually went to my section instructor, my section mentor in OCS and say, uh, I'm sorry, I don't think OCS is for me. I don't want to be an officer anymore. Oh. Yeah, that was just before the field, field camp in Tekong. And I remembered my section instructor. He said, okay, fine. Tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, meet me at the SOC. I, and I, I do not know what he wanted to do with me, but basically in that one hour, he took on me. And then after that, he said, so uh, do you still want to leave OCS? This is not your father's camp, you know, <laughs> right? So I stayed. 
But I'm so grateful he did that for me. And more importantly, they didn't take that against me. Because I've heard of stories people wanted to give up. They, they went through like nine, 10 months, you know, and then they still fail. Yeah, but they gave me a second chance. They didn't say this cadet wanted to give up. Ah, okay, forget about it. We took on him for the next 10 months uh, and then let him fail. They didn't, right? And I still had the chance to excel. And because of that, it was a turning point because I was not a very confident person before OCS. Mm. But OCS gave me that confidence, right? So the, the SAF has given that to me, which I would say it was a turning point of my life. Uh, it helped me to become who I am today. Without that experience, I think I would have turned out very differently. Awesome. That's a very wonderful uh, testament to 